This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The opinions expressed in this episode do not necessarily reflect those of the Murderish podcast. Sensitive topics are discussed. Listener discretion is advised. Hey guys, this is part two of the Heyman Lee case. If you haven't listened to part one yet, please pause here, go listen to part one, and then come back and listen to part two. In part one of this case, we left off with the prosecution concluding their case at Adnan's second trial for the murder of Heyman Lee. The state called numerous witnesses to testify. One of the most notable was Abe Warnowitz, an AT&T engineer who testified regarding cell phone calls made from and received on Adnan's cell phone, which was in Jay's possession on the day Hay went missing. The jury also heard from the state's star witness, Jay Wilde, who testified that Adnan told him he killed Hay and convinced him to help bury her body. Though some of the calls Jay testified about seemed to show up in the right place on Adnan's cell phone call log, some of his sworn statements were contradicted by other witnesses' testimony, as well as his own statements to law enforcement. As the defense began presenting their case at trial, everyone likely believed that this case was nearing its end. The trial would come to an end soon, but this case was far from over. In time, the world would come to know Heyman Lee and Adnan Syed's names as the case was highlighted on a wildly successful podcast called Serial. After Serial was released, new information came to light that called into question numerous aspects of the case, from potential missteps or misconduct in the investigation to possible mistakes and wrongdoing on behalf of the defense and prosecution. Today, Heyman Lee's murder case is arguably one of the most well-known and debated cases in modern history. This is Jamie, and you're listening to Murderish. Join me as I walk you through part two and the conclusion of the Heyman Lee murder case. The defense's case began on Tuesday, February 22, 2000, and was much shorter than the prosecution's. Christina Gutierrez was happy to leave the presentation of evidence to the state, as she believed they had not presented sufficient evidence to prove Adnan's guilt. She instead called witnesses who could testify to Adnan's character or his whereabouts on January 13, and those who could comment on the failure of the Baltimore PD to thoroughly investigate anyone besides Adnan. Gutierrez pointed out to the jury that detectives had tunnel vision and ignored other viable suspects. She called several friends of both Adnan and Hayes, who testified that Adnan was never enraged or aggressive and cared deeply for Hay, even after they broke up. 
In fact, Hay and Adnan continued to be good friends even as both of them began seeing new people. Adnan's teachers and coaches found him to be hardworking and a high achiever. Gutierrez also attempted to show that there was more cause to suspect Alonzo Sellers for Hay's murder than there was for Adnan. The defense's private investigator, Andrew Davis, testified that Sellers' residence was within walking distance to Woodlawn High School and only 2.9 miles away from where Hay's body was found. At the time Hay's body was discovered, there were thick vines and overgrowth covering the path through the woods from Franklin Town Road where Sellers had parked his truck, making it difficult to traverse. It seemed like an onerous location to get to just for the purpose of urinating. Also, the area where Hayes' body was found was not visible from the road, and the body itself was well camouflaged. As evidenced in photos taken from the crime scene, Hayes' body was difficult to see, even if you were staring right at it. The odds of sellers just stumbling upon Hayes' body seemed low. Gutierrez implied that it was more likely that Sellers knew exactly where her body was because he buried it there. Gutierrez called Alonzo Sellers to testify, and his time on the witness stand was strained and argumentative. It was quite clear that he did not want to be there. Sellers testified that he went home that day during his lunch break to get a tool that he needed to finish a job at work. On the way back to work, Sellers drank half of a beer that caused him to have to urinate. The urge to urinate was so great that he couldn't hold it for the rest of the two and a half mile drive to work. As Sellers drove through Leakin Park, he pulled over. He said he wanted privacy, so he walked into the woods where he happened upon Hay's partially buried body. The detectives on scene that day never checked Sellers' truck for the beer, or the tool in order to corroborate his story, nor did they ever search his residence. Sellers gave interviews to detectives on three separate occasions. He was never fingerprinted, nor did he have hair or blood samples taken. Adnan's track coach, Michael Sai, testified that practice usually started around 4 p.m. and went to 5.30 or 6 p.m. Everyone on the team was expected to be there every day, and if they didn't show up, they would be warned and then held from running in meets. Sai remembered Adnan being at practice on January 13th. While Sai did not take a written roll call of who was in attendance, he said that he would have remembered Adnan missing practice because Adnan was serious about the sport. Adnan had meddled and was going to get a varsity letter for his participation on the track team, so he was in regular attendance. During the month of Ramadan, which Sai remembered as being in January of 1999, Adnan was exempt from running due to his fasting requirements, but he still showed up. Adnan and Sai had a long conversation about Ramadan once during practice, which stuck out in Sai's mind. However, he couldn't remember if the conversation happened on January 13th. On cross-examination by Yurik, Sai confirmed that he told detectives he had no way of recalling who was actually at practice on January 13th. On redirect by Gutierrez, Sai clarified that detectives only asked him if he had written documentation of who was at practice on the 13th, not whether or not he remembered Adnan being there that day, which he did. 
Becky Walker, who was a good friend of both Adnan and Hay, testified that there was never any hostility between the two of them, not while they were dating and not after they broke up. Even after they broke up, Adnan and Hayes still talked on the phone with each other, gave each other rides, and hung out. There was no blame from either of them for the breakup. Becky testified that Adnan knew Hay was dating Don, and it wasn't an issue or a surprise to him because Hay had spoken with him about it from the beginning. Becky said Adnan was talking to other girls and was looking to date too. After Hay went missing, Becky said that Adnan grew increasingly concerned as the days went on. She said that after Hay's body was found, Adnan became depressed, so much so that his performance in school declined. Becky told the jury that Hay never told her about any fights or stresses with Adnan leading up to her disappearance. Gutierrez honed in on the point that Adnan was always in Hay's car, even after the breakup. Therefore, he wouldn't need to trick Hay in order to get into her car or to get a ride, as the state had claimed. Becky wrote her thoughts about Hay and Adnan in a journal after Hay's body was found, and she turned it over to detectives after they questioned her. But once detectives had the journal, they never spoke to Becky again. By calling this fact out, Gutierrez was attempting to show that by disregarding the journal, detectives willfully ignored positive character evidence about Adnan. On cross-exam, Murphy asked Becky if Adnan was possessive. Becky said no, she had never witnessed that, and Hay had never said that about Adnan. Hay had only complained once that she was used to being independent and wanted some space. However, according to Becky, Hay quickly changed her mind about that. Adnan's father, Syed Rahman, testified about Muslim customs of prayer and fasting during the holy month of Ramadan. Specifically, the last 10 days of Ramadan in 1999 were from January 8th to the 18th. During this time, Muslims are encouraged to spend 24 hours per day at the mosque, if they are able, for prayer. Although he could not be there 24 hours per day, Syed did go to prayers every night with Adnan on those last 10 days. Prayers were from approximately 8 p.m. to about 10.30 p.m. In fact, Adnan was chosen to lead prayers on January 14th. It was considered a great honor and was a very proud moment for Syed, so he remembered it well. He also remembered the moment because Adnan had to recite prayers in Arabic, which he did not speak, and it required a lot of memorization. Adnan practiced at the mosque in the evenings on the three or four days leading up to the 14th, including on January 13th. Syed also stated that he knew Adnan had a cell phone and that he'd been saving up for it. It wasn't a last-minute decision, and he had permission to get the phone. On cross-examination, Syed told the jury that he was aware that the cell phone was billed to another person, a community member of the mosque. He also reiterated that Adnan was with him at the mosque every night of Ramadan, including the 13th, when the state claimed that he was burying Hay's body. Saad Chaudhry, Adnan's best friend, testified that the two of them met at their mosque, and they became close friends after that. Saad said that Adnan was at the mosque more often than he was, including the day that Adnan led prayers on January 14th. 
Saad said that being chosen for such an honor meant that Adnan was well-respected by members of the community. Saad testified that he was aware that Adnan and Hay were dating. In fact, it was actually quite common for the young Muslim men to date, even though it wasn't encouraged. Saad said he wasn't surprised when Adnan and Hay broke up in December of 1998 because Adnan had been showing interest in other girls around that time. On cross-exam, Saad told the jury that Adnan and Hay were sexually active and sometimes went to the parking lot of Best Buy or to hotel rooms to have sex. Saad also testified to having the same cell phone that Adnan had, the only difference being the cover it had over the dial pad. He said that Adnan's phone had a speed dial function, which could be activated easily and would dial a phone number automatically, something commonly referred to as a butt dial. The defense called Detective Ritz to testify about his interactions with Adnan and Jay. Ritz told the jury that Adnan always returned his calls promptly and answered all of his questions. During the interview with Adnan on January 26th, with Adnan's father present, Ritz said that Adnan answered all of his questions and was very cooperative, even though he seemed to be a bit uncomfortable talking about his relationship with Hay in front of his father. Ritz said that after he arrested Adnan on January 28th, he continued to be cooperative. In contrast, when Ritz dealt with Jay, he was often not forthcoming with information, and each time Jay was interviewed, more and more inconsistencies arose. On cross-examination, Ritz said that even though Jay lied about things, it was not because his overall story was untrue. It was because Jay was trying to protect his friends and family from getting involved in a murder investigation. Ritz also said on the stand that Alonzo Sellers, who found Hayes' body, was fully investigated and ruled out as a suspect. Jay's girlfriend, Stephanie McPherson, was not called to testify. If Gutierrez had called Stephanie to testify, she could have questioned her about an interview Stephanie participated in with Detective Ritz on April 7, 1999, which directly contradicted both Jay and Jen's testimony. In that interview, Stephanie said that on January 13th, she had an away basketball game and did not arrive home until after 10 p.m. She said she did see Jay that night, but it was between 10 and 11 p.m., not between 8.30 and 9 p.m., as he and Jen testified. She also told Ritz that Jay did not have any gifts for her. She said that Jay did not give her any birthday presents until the following day, which was in contrast to Jay's testimony. Adnan wanted to testify on his own behalf, but Gutierrez decided against it. The defense rested their case without Adnan taking the stand. Closing arguments were made on Friday, February 25th, 2000. For the prosecution, Murphy did an excellent job painting the picture of a calculated and brutal murder for the jury. She used descriptive words and jarring phrases to affect them on an emotional level, calling Hayes' murder a crime of pride. She described for the jury that Adnan must have seen the disapproving face of his own mother, as he looked into Hay's eyes while he squeezed the life from her. Murphy said the evidence was overwhelming and proved that Adnan had killed Hay inside of her own car and then buried her in Leakin Park. 
She told the jury that Adnan manipulated Jay into helping dispose of Hay's body because he was an easy target. Murphy said Jay's testimony was fully supported by the physical evidence and the cell phone information. She told the jury that Adnan was the only person who had the motive and opportunity to kill Hay within such a short window of time. Hay was dead within 20 minutes of leaving Woodlawn High School at 2.15 p.m. and buried in Lincoln Park by 7 p.m. Murphy said that Hay's own friends described how she was the kind of person who would help Adnan even after they broke up, and he took advantage of that. She said that Adnan lied to Hay about needing a ride and used his ex-girlfriend's kindness to trap her inside of her own vehicle and strangle her. Murphy asked the jury to find Adnan guilty of first-degree murder, false imprisonment, kidnapping, and robbery. Gutierrez's closing statement, in stark contrast to Murphy's, was extremely disjointed and hard to follow. In her closing, Gutierrez would start out trying to make a point and then move to a different point before finishing the first one, often not even completing her sentences. She was, however, able to convey the idea that the Baltimore PD had become hyper-focused on Adnan, failing to investigate other possible suspects, even though there was no physical evidence tying Adnan to Hayes' death. She reminded the jury that detectives never found any evidence showing that Adnan had even been inside Hayes' car on January 13th, and that no DNA evidence was ever tested during the investigation or submitted as evidence during the trial. The whole case was based on Jay's word, someone who was a proven liar. Gutierrez attempted to make the point that the phone call to Nisha at 3.32 p.m. could not have been made by Adnan. She tried to articulate that Jay testified that he was still waiting for Adnan to call him at that time in the afternoon, so clearly Jay had the phone and was not with Adnan. She also tried to explain the auto speed dial function of Adnan's phone and how it could have been accidentally activated by anyone who had the phone. But Gutierrez was so confusing and her explanations were so fragmented that most of her points just got lost in the mess. Gutierrez told the jury that not one single person had described Adnan as being negative or hostile, nor did they describe him as being surprised that Hay was dating Don. She said that Jay was the one who lied to detectives, hid from them, threw away his clothes, and destroyed evidence. Adnan, on the other hand, was fully cooperative and did not get rid of the clothes he wore on January 13th because Gutierrez said Adnan had nothing to hide. According to court transcripts, Gutierrez's final, bizarre words to the jury were, I have to sit down now, say what I wish to say, but when you took this charge, you took, I hope what I've said has been helpful to you. If it's not, it's up to you as a juror to answer those questions. He is charged on the word of, only you can send him home. The jury were then sent to a room to deliberate. Though the trial lasted for six weeks, it only took the jury two hours to land on a verdict. At approximately 4.25 p.m. on February 25, 2000, 
the jury unanimously found Adnan Syed guilty of murder in the first degree, kidnapping by fraud, false imprisonment, and robbery. There were gasps and sobbing in the courtroom, but Adnan remained calm as the bailiff put handcuffs on his wrists and ankles. According to Adnan's story, The Search for Truth and Justice After Serial, a book written by Rabia Chaudhry, Adnan turned toward his family and friends and said, It's okay, I didn't do it. Allah knows I didn't do it. Hay's mother, Yoon Kim, was extremely emotional and told reporters she was pleased that Hay's killer would be punished, that justice had been done. In the time following Adnan's conviction, Gutierrez did not maintain contact with him. She inexplicably ignored repeated requests to amend an upcoming motion for a new trial, which she filed on March 6th. She also refused to schedule mitigating witnesses for Adnan's sentencing hearing. Adnan could not even get in touch with Gutierrez to tell her that she was being fired from his case. Adnan's parents had to write a letter to the court asking to postpone the sentencing so that Adnan could adequately prepare and procure a public defender. Judge Wanda Heard granted Adnan's request to dismiss Gutierrez and to postpone the sentencing. By the time the sentencing hearing took place on June 6, Adnan had a new attorney, Charles Dorsey, from the public defender's office. Kevin Urich represented the state and Judge Heard presided. The first order of business was to address the motion for a new trial, which Heard swiftly denied. Hay's mother, Yoon, gave a heartbreaking statement to the court, highlighting how bright and good Hay had been. She spoke about how her health had deteriorated after the loss of her daughter. According to court transcripts, Yoon referenced a Korean proverb saying, When parents die, they bury in the ground, but when children die, they bury in their hearts. She said that Hay would remain buried in her heart as long as she lived. Yoon expressed that she wanted to forgive Adnan, but she didn't know how. Yurik told the court that Adnan acted deliberately and there was no excuse for his reprehensible actions. And although Adnan had proclaimed his innocence throughout the investigation and trial, Dorsey, his new defense attorney, surprisingly told the court that Adnan was young and in love and that he had made a bad decision. He requested the crime be considered one of passion without an intent to kill and asked the court for mercy. Adnan was completely shocked by Dorsey's statements. When given the opportunity to speak, Adnan told the court that he was innocent. He understood that he had been found guilty by a jury and he would accept that but he said he also respectfully disagreed with their judgment. Adnan said he hoped to one day have another chance to plead his case in court, and he asked for mercy in his sentencing. He apologized for the pain that had been caused by the whole situation. Judge Hurd took the opportunity to make a statement, and she ripped into Adnan, telling him that both he and Hay had the world in front of them before he took it away. According to a June 7, 2000 article in the Baltimore Sun by Caitlin Frankie, Judge Heard accused Adnan of using his intellect and popularity to manipulate everyone around him, saying, Even today, I think you continue to manipulate even those who love you. 
She then sentenced Adnan to life in prison plus 30 years. In the year following Adnan's conviction in May of 2001, Adnan's original attorney, Christina Gutierrez, was disbarred by consent by the state of Maryland. She cited numerous health problems, including multiple sclerosis and diabetes, which she had been suffering through during Adnan's trial. By consenting to the disbarment, the investigations of nearly a dozen client complaints against her were dropped without further penalty. Nearly three years later, on January 30th, 2004, Gutierrez died of a heart attack. It can never be known how much her failing health affected her performance and decision-making. Many people wonder whether things would have gone differently for Adnan if Gutierrez had been healthy while she represented him. On February 27, 2002, two years after his conviction, Adnan made his first direct appeal to the Maryland Court of Special Appeals, or COSA, citing prosecutorial misconduct, Brady violations, and a violation of his due process. A year later, the appeal was denied. On January 25, 2003, Adnan asked Maryland's highest court, the Court of Appeals of Maryland, to allow him to put forth an appeal. They denied his request. A decade after his conviction, Adnan was still fighting and had hired a new attorney named Justin Brown. On May 28, 2010, Brown filed a petition for post-conviction relief, or PCR, seeking a new trial. Shortly after Adnan's conviction, it was discovered that a potential alibi witness, Asia McLean, had come forward before his trial but Christina Gutierrez had not called her to testify. Asia was a fellow Woodlawn honor student who had written letters to Adnan shortly after he was arrested. In the letters, she reminded Adnan of a conversation the two of them had after school in the library that was adjacent to the school campus. Asia wrote in her letters that on January 13, 1999, the day Hay went missing, her and Adnan's conversation in the library lasted until 2.40 p.m., which was well after the time the state claimed that Adnan had killed Hay in the Best Buy parking lot. Asia's boyfriend and his best friend were also present for part of the conversation, and they remembered speaking to Adnan in the library as well. After receiving the letters, Adnan mentioned Asia to Gutierrez, and he even gave her copies of the letters. Gutierrez eventually told Adnan that she had spoken with Asia and that she was remembering the wrong day. Adnan believed his lawyer and gave up on thinking that Asia's letters had any significance to his case. It wasn't until after Adnan was convicted that a close family friend, Rabia Chaudhry, became aware of Asia's existence. Being in law school, Rabia realized the potential importance of Asia's statements, so she reached out to her to find out if they carried any weight. It was at this time that Rabia discovered that Christina Gutierrez had never contacted Asia, which meant that Gutierrez had lied to Adnan and completely disregarded an alibi witness. Rabia asked Asia if she would sign an affidavit that listed the facts of her conversation with Adnan years prior in the Woodlawn Library, as well as the fact that no attorney had ever contacted her about it. Asia agreed and signed the affidavit on March 25, 2000. 
The affidavit was a large part of Adnan's post-conviction relief petition, which made multiple claims of ineffective assistance of counsel. On October 11, 2012, two years after the original filing, Judge Martin Welch presided over the PCR hearing. Though her affidavit from March 2000 was presented as an exhibit during the hearing, Asia McLean did not appear as a witness. Instead, Prosecutor Yurik testified on Asia's behalf. Yurik had spoken with Asia about the case prior to the PCR hearing back in 2010. At Adnan's PCR hearing, Yurik claimed the affidavit Asia signed was not true and that Asia told him that she had only written the affidavit because she felt pressured by Adnan's family. On December 30, 2013, Judge Welch denied Adnan's petition for relief. While waiting for Judge Welch's decision on the PCR hearing, Adnan and his family became increasingly depressed about the situation. Appeal after appeal had been denied, which diminished their confidence in getting a favorable verdict after the PCR hearing. Rabia, who described Adnan as being like a little brother to her, could not stand by as Adnan spent the rest of his life in prison for a crime she strongly believes he did not commit. Around this time, Rabia had the idea to seek out a journalist who could bring public scrutiny to Adnan's case and raise the issue of a wrongful conviction, and in doing so, hopefully shed some light on Hay's actual killer. Rabia contacted a reporter named Sarah Koenig, who had written a piece for the Baltimore Sun in 2001 about Christina Gutierrez's disbarment. At the time, Koenig was producing a national radio show in New York called This American Life. Within 10 days of making contact, Rabia and Koenig met in person to discuss Adnan's case. Sarah Koenig gathered documents and met with one of Adnan's prior attorneys, Chris Floor, to find out if there was any legitimacy to Adnan's claims of innocence. Floor told her that he had always believed that Adnan was wrongfully convicted. In the months that followed, Koenig connected with Adnan and other people involved in the case and poured through all of the case files. Then, in early 2014, Koenig and This American Life committed to conducting a full investigation of Adnan's case. They would end up producing a 12-episode investigative journalism podcast called Serial. On October 3, 2014, the first two episodes of the podcast dropped on iTunes. Though Hayes' family had refused to be a part of the podcast, for the first time, people got to hear Adnan's side of the story in his own words as Koenig had numerous recorded phone calls with Adnan from prison. The podcast was an instant hit with listeners and quickly became an international phenomenon, generating over 100 million downloads, establishing a world record. Serial still holds this record today with over 340 million downloads and counting. Serial podcast was in the headlines of every major news outlet worldwide. It was so popular that podcasts about the podcast began popping up and social media exploded with posts about Hay and Adnan. Listeners, including Rabia, began blogging about it, documenting their own opinions and theories. Reddit, a massive online forum, began to run wild with dozens of threads dedicated to the growing number of opinions about the case, 
Some people theorized that it was actually Don who killed Hay. Others thought it had to be Jay. Some people believed that there had to be some unknown person involved, like a serial killer. Other people theorized that detectives were corrupt and fed Jay all of the information for his statements. A large number of people were adamant that Adnan was guilty and some even believed that he could possibly be a psychopath. All of these theories were covered during Serial, some more thoroughly than others. Ultimately, Serial was responsible for two major advances in Adnan's case. First, the Innocence Project, a network of attorneys dedicated to exonerating the wrongfully convicted, took on Adnan's case. They uncovered the fact that the Baltimore PD had collected numerous pieces of evidence in Adnan's case that were never sent out for DNA testing and were probably still sitting in an evidence locker somewhere. Those items could potentially identify Hay's true killer or further exclude Adnan as a suspect. Second was the re-emergence of a credible alibi witness, Asia McLean. Shockingly, Asia had been unaware that Yurik had testified about her affidavit at Adnan's PCR hearing in 2012. Like millions of people, Asia had listened to Serial, and when she heard the audio of Yurik's actual testimony on the podcast, she contacted Sarah Koenig right away. Asia told Koenig that Yurik had lied on the witness stand. She said she never told him that she was pressured by Adnan's family to write the affidavit or that she had recanted her statements. In addition, Asia said the reason she did not testify at the PCR hearing was because Yurik persuaded her not to. She said that during the phone conversation, Yurik told her that Adnan was convicted based on strong evidence and she took him at his word. Having listened to Serial and realized Yurik's deceit, Asia now knew that Adnan's case was not as open and shut as she was led to believe. Given all of this, Asia signed a new affidavit on January 13, 2015, stating that she would testify in court as to what she remembered from 1999 and that she had never recanted her original statement. A week later, her new affidavit was presented by Adnan's lawyer in his ongoing request for a new PCR hearing. Up until this point, Heyman Lee's family had been silent since Adnan's sentencing in 2000. But when Serial debuted, they broke their silence and publicly denounced the podcast, saying that it was an inaccurate portrayal of what really happened. According to a 2016 article by Wills Robinson for DailyMail.com, Hayes' family chastised serial fans for defending a guilty man, saying, Unlike those who learn about this case on the internet, we sat and watched every day of both trials, so many witnesses, so much evidence. Clearly, serial struck a nerve with anyone who listened to it. The podcast was absolutely polarizing. Between June and October of 2015, Justin Brown submitted several other motions to the Baltimore City Circuit Court to reopen Adnan's PCR proceedings. Included in Brown's submissions were key pieces of new evidence, one of which was a fax cover sheet from AT&T that had been part of the cell phone tower information subpoenaed by Baltimore PD detectives. 
The cover sheet, which was inexplicably never mentioned by either the prosecution or the defense during trial, contained instructions entitled, How to Read Subscriber Activity Reports, and it noted very plainly, outgoing calls only are reliable for location status. Any incoming calls will not be considered reliable information for location. This new information completely undermined the cell tower evidence used by the prosecution to convict Adnan. Every single call used by the prosecution to show Adnan's location at key points of their timeline, especially the calls in Leakin Park, had been incoming calls. Also submitted by Brown was an affidavit from the state's own expert cell phone witness, Abe Warnowitz. In the affidavit, Warnowitz acknowledged that he was never shown the AT&T fax cover sheet and that if he had seen the instructions, it would have changed his testimony. On November 6, 2015, in light of all the new information, Judge Welch ordered that the PCR hearing be reopened. The hearing began in February of 2016, with the state represented this time by Prosecutor Thiru Vijnaraja. Several witnesses testified, including Asia McLean, who was reportedly very poised on the stand. Abe Warnowitz's affidavit was also presented during the hearing. June 30, 2016 brought major news in Adnan's case. 16 years after Adnan was found guilty of killing Heyman Lee, Judge Welch vacated his conviction and ordered a new trial. In his opinion, Welch noted that Jay's testimony was not consistent with the timeline adopted by the state and that Gutierrez was ineffective for failing to contact Asia McLean. According to a 2019 article for Bustle.com written by Taylor Maple, during the hearings, Hay's family wished people would focus on Hay instead of Adnan. They said the hearings reopened wounds few can imagine. It remains hard to see so many run to defend someone who committed a horrible crime, who destroyed our family, who refuses to accept responsibility. We believe justice was done when Adnan was convicted. The state reacted by filing an appeal to Judge Welch's ruling and on August 12, 2016, an order was issued to stay the new trial pending further appeals. There were multiple appeals and briefs from both the state and Adnan's attorneys, but eventually, COSA heard oral arguments in June of 2017. The panel of three judges announced their ruling on March 29, 2018. Adnan's conviction was again vacated and he was awarded a new trial. This was huge news in the case, and the millions of people familiar with Adnan's story went wild. Some were elated, others were deeply disappointed. Though the decision was cause for Adnan's camp to celebrate, the battle was not over, not by a long shot. The state aggressively appealed this decision all the way to Maryland's Supreme Court. On November 29, 2018, they heard arguments from the state and Adnan's attorneys. On March 8, 2019, the seven-judge Maryland Supreme Court panel gave their opinion. In a 4-3 decision, the Court of Appeals overturned COSA and denied Adnan a new trial, on the grounds that even though Adnan's counsel had been lacking, 
the new evidence probably would not have affected the new trial's outcome. Justin Brown, Adnan's attorney, immediately filed a motion to reconsider, but it was denied. Adnan would not receive a new trial unless the United States Supreme Court stepped in. In August of 2019, Adnan's attorneys filed a petition with the U.S. Supreme Court. In addition, multiple organizations as well as 39 wrongfully convicted individuals also filed briefs supporting Adnan's request for a new trial. Even so, the Supreme Court denied Adnan's petition to be heard, which meant that the Maryland Court of Appeals ruling would stand as the final word. Adnan was not entitled to a new trial. Jay Wilds, the state's star witness, had been contacted to take part in Serial, but he refused. On December 29, 2014, however, Jay suddenly came forward to give an interview to The Intercept. In the article, written by Natasha Vargas Cooper, Jay revealed a whole new version of events for January 13, 1999. His main points were that Adnan told him about his plans to kill Hay several weeks before he actually killed her, not just the day of. Jay now said that Best Buy was not the location where he saw Hay's body in the trunk of her car, because Adnan did not have a car with him at that time. He said Adnan did tell him that he had killed Hay in the parking lot. Jay said he and Adnan went to Christie's house between 3 and 4 p.m., several hours sooner than he had stated in his trial testimony. He said that Adnan did not show him Hay's body in the trunk of her car until sometime after 6 p.m., and it happened in front of his grandmother's house, and the burial did not take place until after midnight, after both Jay and Adnan dug a hole together for 40 minutes. This last point would seem to contradict the fact that Hay was found buried in a shallow six-inch deep depression, not a deep hole. It is interesting to note that one week after Jay gave his interview, Kevin Urich also gave an interview to The Intercept. In the January 2015 interview, written by Natasha Vargas Cooper and Ken Silverstein, Urich defended the state's case, calling it a run-of-the-mill domestic violence murder. He claimed that the inconsistencies in Jay's confession, testimony, and his statements to The Intercept did not discredit him because nothing he said changed the material fact of Adnan's guilt. What Jay lied about were only collateral facts that didn't affect Adnan's guilt or innocence. Urich asserted that many of the material facts were corroborated through the cell phone records, including being in Leakin Park. And once you understood the cell phone records in conjunction with Jay's testimony, it became a very strong case. Urich's interview took place prior to the discovery of the AT&T document showing that incoming calls were not reliable for determining location. And Urich has not given an interview since. Back when Serial was first released in 2014, Rabia Chowdhury was one of the many people who began blogging about each episode. During that time, she discovered another blogger by the name of Susan Simpson, who was writing extremely detailed posts about evidence presented at Adnan's trial. Simpson was an associate attorney at a law firm in Washington, D.C., and she had experience in criminal appeals. 
Rabia contacted Simpson, gave her all of the case files she had, and Simpson began to dig into them. Simpson was the one who combed through the thousands of pages of discovery from the case files and found the fax cover sheet from AT&T, which was used during Adnan's PCR hearings. Rabia and Simpson ended up connecting with another blogger, Colin Miller, a professor of law at the University of South Carolina School of Law, and the three of them released their own podcast called Undisclosed. The first episode of Undisclosed, titled Adnan's Day, dropped on April 13, 2015. The podcast format was vastly different than that of Serial. Undisclosed was a meticulous investigation of the case from the day of Hayes' disappearance all the way through Adnan's PCR hearings. Rabia, Susan, and Colin combed through case files and uncovered previously unknown documents, which they discussed on the podcast. One important piece of information that was uncovered was the existence of a memo written for the prosecution on August 24, 1999, by a woman named Mandy Johnson, a self-professed expert on Middle Eastern culture. In addition to being the founder of the Anihi Group, an investigative research company, Johnson was also a friend of Hay's uncle who hired her as soon as Hay went missing. The document, entitled Report on Islamic Thought and Culture with Emphasis on Pakistan, showed extreme prejudice toward Muslims. In the document, Johnson stated incorrectly that Adnan was Pakistani and as such, he would kill an infidel like Hay for disgracing him, that killing her would not only be encouraged but fully expected in his culture. The document appeared to have been used by the prosecution to bolster their theory that Hay's murder was an honor killing. No other document, report, or interview in the case files addressed the topic of honor killings. In addition to uncovering documents, Undisclosed proved through extensive research that there was no wrestling match on the day Hay disappeared, which called into question the memory of several of the state's witnesses. With no wrestling match happening on the day that Hay disappeared, it seems clear that she was planning to see Dawn after school and then go to work, according to witnesses. The undisclosed team also found evidence in the case files to suggest that Jay spoke with detectives much earlier than the Baltimore PD had documented, which could suggest there was an opportunity to fabricate statements prior to any on-record interviews. They also discovered possible evidence of detectives coaching Jay throughout his taped interviews. In one episode of the podcast, the undisclosed team played audio from one of Jay's interviews with detectives. During the interview, Jay seems to not recall certain details of the story. Then, a tapping noise can be heard, and suddenly, Jay remembered the detail and got back on track with the story. The audio seemed to suggest that detectives would tap on the table or some other object anytime Jay said something that didn't fit their narrative. The undisclosed team posted all of the case files and documentation on the podcast website, inviting listeners to take a look at the files for themselves. They also discovered shocking history about the detectives involved in Adnan's case, specifically McGillivary, Ritz, and Massey. Each of them had multiple homicide convictions overturned throughout the years. The suspects in those cases were exonerated based on fabricated witness statements and faulty interview techniques, 
the details of which were strikingly similar to what happened during Hay's murder investigation. Also highlighted on the podcast was Don's alibi and timesheet for the day Hay went missing. Hay's boyfriend, Don, claimed to have been working from 9 to 6 p.m. the day that Hay went missing. It was later discovered that his timesheet contained striking discrepancies and had likely been falsified by his mother, who was the manager at the Hunt Valley Lens Crafters, where Don said he was filling in for a co-worker. Given this new information, it seemed likely that Don had not been working that day, begging the questions, why would Don lie about his whereabouts, and if he wasn't at work, what was he doing that day and evening? The undisclosed team also brought up the fact that Dawn never tried to call Hay after she went missing. They were dating at the time and had plans to hang out. The team found it odd that Dawn would not call his girlfriend after finding out that she had missed her shift at work and after being told by detectives that she was missing. Since chronicling Adnan's case, Undisclosed has gone on to feature many wrongful conviction cases and has helped to get some of those convictions overturned. In 2015, due in large part to Serial and Rabia's book called Adnan's Story, The Search for Truth and Justice After Serial, Academy Award-nominated filmmaker Amy Berg became aware of the case. She began filming a four-part HBO documentary called The Case Against Adnan Syed, which concluded filming in 2018 and aired in 2019. The documentary covered much of the same aspects as Serial, but also chronicled Adnan's PCR hearings as they were happening. Private detectives were hired to search for new evidence and to take a fresh look at the original files. They investigated Hayes' car and the likelihood of it actually being parked for six weeks in the spot where it was recovered, as Jay claimed during his interviews with detectives. The private investigators examined original evidence photos of Hay's car in the parking spot and interviewed residents who lived near the parking lot at the time the car was found. They also enlisted the help of a turfgrass physiologist to help them determine whether it was plausible for Hay's car to have been left in that parking spot for several weeks. Based on the PI's examination, it was determined that Hay's car was probably only in that spot for about a week at most. In photos of Hay's car parked in the location, you can see what appears to be green grass blades on the rear tires of her car. In addition, there appears to be green grass underneath her car. In contrast, the grass underneath the vehicle parked next to Hay's car is dead and brown. The argument is that if Hay's car was parked in that location for six weeks, as Jay claimed, the grass underneath it would be dead and brown, which was the case with the car parked right next to Hay's. In the HBO docuseries, Berg re-interviewed several key witnesses from Serial, most notably Christy Vinson. Berg showed Christy her actual conference schedule and class from UMBC, January 1999. In contrast to her testimony at Adnan's trial, Christy did not have a conference on January 13th. It had been a different day altogether. She also had a class that evening, which according to Christy herself, she must have attended, otherwise she would not have passed the class. Christy was visibly distraught when she realized she must have been remembering the wrong day in her testimony, 
not the day of Hayes' disappearance. A forensic pathologist and former medical examiner was interviewed at length about lividity. Hayes' autopsy showed that she had full frontal fixed lividity with no signs of shifting. It was learned that lividity takes 8 to 12 hours to become fixed, which meant that Hay could not have been moved during that time. It meant that she had to have been lying flat, face down for that entire time until the lividity became fixed. Hay was found buried on her right side, not face down, which would indicate that she was moved from an unknown location and buried after her lividity was fixed, after she had been lying flat, face down, for 8 to 12 hours. The state had alleged that Hay was killed at 2.36 p.m. and buried less than five hours later at 7 p.m. For that to have been true, there would have been signs of shifting lividity on her body because the lividity would not have been fixed for another three to seven hours, and it would have become fixed on her right side, not the front of her body. The lividity evidence also proved that Hay could not have been inside the trunk of her car for the entire day, further calling into question the state's case. Berg also interviewed Jay Wilds, though he refused to be recorded on film or audio. He did, however, give a statement to the director, and yet again, he told a different version of events. This time, Jay said that Adnan showed him Hay's body at Jay's house, not in the Best Buy parking lot. He said that detectives made up the Best Buy information, and he just went along with it. Jay said that Adnan asked him to get 10 pounds of weed, and after he got it, Adnan threatened to turn him in unless he helped to bury Hay's body. The documentary also revealed that new DNA testing had been done in 2018, thanks to work done by the Innocence Project. Fifteen items from the crime scene that had never been tested previously were finally submitted for analysis, including Hayes' fingernail clippings. Excerpts from the forensic report were shown during the documentary's finale. The excerpts revealed that none of the recovered DNA evidence matched Adnan. Also included in the finale was the revelation that the state had offered Adnan a plea deal prior to the final ruling on his new trial. If he pled guilty to the murder of Heyman Lee, he would only serve four more years and then be released. Adnan turned the deal down, saying he could not confess to something he did not do. Adnan's supporters believe this speaks volumes. If Adnan had taken the deal, he would be out of prison or be very close to being free today. Instead, he chose his truth over freedom. Today, Adnan remains incarcerated in the North Branch Correctional Institution in Cumberland, Maryland. He's been in prison for 22 years. The day he was arrested at his home in 1999 was the last day Adnan would ever be free. Adnan, now 40 years old, still has some legal options to explore, according to a source close to the case. 2019 was the last major event in Adnan's case, when his conviction was reinstated. Although this must have felt like a huge blow to him and his supporters, Adnan has a new legal and investigative team who are continuing to work vigorously behind the scenes. In Adnan's previous appeal, his legal team argued two issues, his alibi and the cell phone evidence. 
According to the same source, there are numerous other issues Adnan's team have not had the opportunity to raise in court. Among those issues are DNA and forensic testing, which was last done in 2018, none of which has been matched to Adnan. In April of 2021, Maryland passed the Juvenile Restoration Act banning life sentences for people convicted of crimes that occurred when they were juveniles. The legislation is applied retroactively, meaning that anyone who has served at least 20 years for a crime that occurred when they were a juvenile may petition the court for a sentence reduction. Adnan falls under this category, so it's possible that his legal team will petition for him to be resentenced under this new law. The millions of people who follow this case will have to wait impatiently, I'm sure, for a few more months to find out which issues Adnan's legal team will decide to raise and whether they'll petition for resentencing under the new Juvenile Restoration Act. Adnan's legal team are due back in court later this year. And what should happen when Adnan goes back to court? Does he deserve a new trial in light of all of the information and evidence that has been discovered since Serial? Many people believe the answer to that question is a definite no, that the state presented a strong case backed by powerful witness testimony and indisputable evidence which proved Adnan's guilt. They believe the validity of his conviction withstands all the years of intense scrutiny and it's time to end the battle once and for all. Yet many other people believe that Adnan had nothing to do with Hay's murder and an innocent young man has grown into adulthood behind bars unjustly. No matter the outcome of Adnan's next court appearance, it seems clear that no other case in recent history has divided the public more intensely than this one. What tends to get lost amid all of the social media posts and public conversations about this case is the fact that Heyman Lee was cruelly taken from this world. Her life, her memory, and her legacy deserve to be remembered. Woodlawn High School students and staff helped to do just that when they planted two trees in Hay's honor in 1999, an evergreen tree to the rear of the school which marked her favorite spot to relax, and a cherry tree in front of the school with a plaque that read, in memory of Hay Lee, a member of the class of 1999. Whether justice has been done or justice is yet to be done, Heyman Lee told the world what should be done when she made a plea on the first page of her diary over 20 years ago. Heyman Lee wrote, Do love me and remember me forever, since I'll always love you all. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Murderish, Mark your calendars for three days after this episode airs on Thursday, January 27th at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time because I'm hosting an Instagram Live to discuss this case and do a Q&A. I know so many of you have thoughts, opinions, theories, and questions about this case. The Instagram Live will give us a chance to discuss it, share theories, and more. Again, the Instagram Live is happening on January 27th at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. If you're not already, go ahead and follow Murderish on Instagram so you don't miss out. You can find the show at Murderish Podcast on Instagram. I hope you can join. In addition to Serial and Undisclosed, there's another notable podcast called Truth and Justice, 
hosted by Bob Ruff, that highlighted this case in its first season. Serial, Undisclosed, and the Truth and Justice podcast are all worth a listen if you're interested in the Heyman Lee murder case. If you enjoy this podcast, do me the biggest favor and rate and review Murderish in your favorite podcast app. Positive ratings and reviews help new listeners find the show, and I also love to hear from you guys. Check out Murderish.com if you want to buy Murderish t-shirts, face masks, coffee mugs, and more. If you want more Murderish content, go to Murderish.com and click the link to go behind the scenes and become a Patreon subscriber. Patrons get immediate access to bonus content as well as other cool perks. Thank you to Lean Gabrielson and Christine M. for becoming Murderish Patreon subscribers. I appreciate you both so much. Murderish sound design and audio editing is by Justin Hellstrom. Some of the music was composed by Nico of We Talk of Dreams. This episode was researched and written by Gina Mazzolini. Sources for this episode can be found at Murderish.com. Don't forget to get your badge to CrimeCon this year. It'll be in Las Vegas and I'll be there on Podcast Row. I would love to meet you guys there, so head over to CrimeCon.com and use promo code MURDERISH for 10% off of a standard badge. That's CrimeCon.com, promo code MURDERISH. As always, Ishers, thank you for joining me on another episode of Murderish. And remember, listening to this podcast doesn't make you a murderer. It just means you're murder-ish. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.